the understanding, you know, the palm tree, if we, we think of Victoria, you know, as I was thinking of uh, the title for this morning's uh, um, message, uh, if we were writing it in a newspaper, you know, if it was putting a headlines in, in front of a newspaper, I thought of it as victorious king rides triumphantly into Jerusalem. <laughs> you know, a victorious king rides triumphantly into Jerusalem. And that's Palm Sunday, that where Jesus has, has come and he's, you know, his final week of ministry begins. And uh, we have all the people, we're going to read about that in a, in a moment here, but we often think of the palms. We give out palms, Palm Sunday. You know, people cut the, the palm branches off or they were laying around on the, on the ground. They picked them up and laid them on the street. The palm tree, if you're going to think of perhaps the strongest tree that, um, that exists, uh, I don't think I would think of the palm tree, you know? I, I don't think I would think of the palm tree. I think I would think of the oak tree or, you know, some ash tree or what's those really hardwoods you know the oak what's redwoods redwoods yes and that's a good story redwoods <laughs> the reason redwoods are so strong it's my sermon illustration from a long time ago the reason redwoods are so impervious to the not impervious to the wind but uh, are able to stand and their tremendous weight doesn't drive them into the ground is because of their interconnected. The whole root system underneath them, perhaps five feet deep, is all interconnected. And what they did was on, a, on a redwoods, they put a dye in, in some of the trees at the edge of the forest, and they found traces of that on, clear through the forest so that there's that much interconnection and woven together that it's that very tight-knit. That's another story. But... <laughs> The palm tree. The palm tree, we are aware of the palms. They just tear very easily in a straight line, you know, because of all the fibers. But you can't tear them across. You can't tear them across. You have to cut them if you're going to do that. In a tornado, hurricane, the palm trees are the ones that are always standing. It's because they learn how to bend but what it is, it's the fiber. And the fibers in these leaves, so in these, they're not actually leaves, in these palms, the fibers in the palm tree become stronger with being bent. <laughs> so their strength then becomes greater in the storm. So every storm strengthens, as it were, the palm tree because of the fibers that are inside of it and the depth of the root system. The root isn't like our oak trees and maple trees you know just goes across the surface for a while and down a few uh, a few feet maybe this is uh, uh, this is almost like straight down into the soil into the sand and it's reaching deep to get the waters and the nutrients out but its strength is in its fibers <laughs> its strength is in its fibers so that it really can't be broken try and tear them apart it's <laughs> you know pull it apart it, it doesn't happen so they have to be cut, and uh, so the palm tree then is one of those trees that speak to us of being, uh, I think, of being victorious and being strong in the troubles and the trials, uh, being able to bend in the storms so that the storm can rage, it can 
put 150 mile an hour winds and a palm tree will be bent clear over, but it's not dead. It'll, as soon as the wind dies out, it comes back up. And so that's who we are in Christ that are the problems and difficulties that come to us, they strengthen us. So Paul in his um, lesson we spoke today about the church at Corinth, they had problems in being tore apart <laughs> because they were following, one was following Paul, Apollos, and Peter, and others said, well, we're of Christ, and they divided themselves. But Christ is the one who holds us together. He bonds the system that we cannot be tore apart. We can be separated, as it were, on our seams of indifference or our seams of understanding. But in the strength of who we are in Christ, we cannot be uh, pulled apart. We cannot be taken, removed from Christ. Well, when Christ, in, in Matthew chapter 21, we have Jesus riding triumphantly into Jerusalem and uh, I thought I would speak about this briefly, and then I have a couple other things that uh, I, I wanted to look at. And when we, we see Jesus riding into Jerusalem, this is his last week. This is the last week of his ministry. And the book of John has for us uh, an extensive list, an extensive um, breakdown of this riding triumphantly into Jerusalem and on through to the crucifixion. So John has us, in, in a, not necessarily a triumphal entry, but in this last week, this, this week of Christ uh, preparing for the cross, we have this written out for us in, in the book of John. But here in Matthew, it says, When they were near Jerusalem, having arrived at Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples with these instructions. Go over to the village across from you, You'll find a donkey tethered there, her colt with her. Untie her and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, say, the master needs him. It will, he will send them with you. Did you ever notice how uh, nothing takes Jesus by surprise? <laughs> nothing takes Jesus by surprise. This... And whenever you're looking at this last week of Jesus, and you're looking at the life of Jesus, things aren't falling apart. They're coming together. <laughs> okay? And with Jesus being crucified, the, his crucifixion and a preparation for the crucifixion, his life and ministry are not falling apart. They are perfectly fitting together. Because there is Isaiah's prophecy here in, in, in verse 4 and 5. Tell Zion's daughter, look, your king is on his way, poised and ready, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a pack animal. So there is the, the prophet's declaration foretold of this donkey this, that Jesus is going to ride on. But he tells his disciples, I want you to go to a particular place and there the donkey is, is tied up. And when the master comes out and says, what are you doing taking my donkey? Tell them, you see, in our lives, we think that perhaps our life is out of schedule, <laughs> out of sync, <laughs> uh, out of sorts. Any other names? <laughs> out of, What's that? Dysfunction. <laughs> There's dysfunction in my unction. You know, I don't have it. <laughs> uh, so we have these things going on, and, and, and Jesus is well aware of what's happening. He's well aware of what's taking place. The events of this week and the crucifixion 
are not out of order. They are exactly in the way that they should be. And to let us know that Jesus is in charge and that things are as they should be and that he knows what's happening, he tells the disciples what to do. Just as he is preparing the week and will spend this week and going and clean, you know, and, 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 and um, throw out the money changers from the temple and overturn those, he, he's in charge. He knows what's happening. He knows what he's doing. One of the things I thought of even for ourselves is, does God know what's going on in our life? Does God know what's happening? Am I out of sorts? Am I, is my life out of sorts? You know, and this goes along, I think, with the, um, the story of last week and, and of Wednesday night. I used it again. If you take to the furthest extremes of the universe, God is there. And if you recognize reality, God is here in us at the same time. And that inside of us, he knows what tomorrow holds. He knows what the end of the book is written, the book of Revelation. It's written. It's already set. We're just arriving. We're going to arrive there. So now we are in the process of getting our life in order. We are riding triumphantly through our lives. And that the troubles may come, the waves, the, the storms, and so on, that badger the palm tree, it can't tear it apart. The waves and the storms that come into our life cannot remove us from our relationship with Jesus. What shall separate us from the love of God? What shall pull us from his presence? Neither life nor death, principalities or powers, things present, things to come. None of these things... Not even the devil himself can pull us from the hand of God. Because in Christ, in Christ alone, <laughs> I stand. So the disciples went, for the donkey here, the disciples went and did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They led the donkey and called out, laid some of their clothes on them, on, on them and Jesus mounted. This is the only time, now I know some people, I, I was writing this down, I said, this is the only time Jesus rode a donkey. Aha, not so. Whenever he was in the womb with Mary, he rode a donkey. <laughs> I'm sure somebody said, this is the only time Jesus rode, not so, he rode, <laughs> uh, maybe that doesn't qualify, I don't know, maybe it does. But this is the only time that we have written that, that, I, that I know of that Jesus rode anywhere. He always walked. He always walked where he was going. Jesus is not this um, weak, weakling of a person. Um, he, is, he is a very strong individual. <laughs> has a, he has a high tolerance for um, working, <laughs> walking, ministering. It, it, it is, it's a great strain you know, upon a person mentally and emotionally. And uh, Jesus was, went through this and, you know, nothing ever discouraged him. Nothing ever brought him down. Satan himself tempted him. But it didn't matter. He was always victorious. So the disciples went and uh, he rode this donkey in. And they, rode, they put their, their garments on the donkey. They, ra they laid them on the ground. And when they began to do this, nearly all the people in the crowd threw their garments down on the road. So you see, this was a, a time of preparation for Passover. And uh, it was a time in which people from all over the then known world would come, come to Jerusalem. Jews would come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. So 
It's packed. The place is packed. You know, almost like a, a sporting event or something. Uh, you know, it's, it's packed. Everybody showed up. And so Jerusalem, everyone has shown up for this, uh, for this um, Passover. And Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and, and the, the stir begins. And the, the wave of um, praise and adoration and the things of, uh, that Jesus has accomplished kind of have been people are talking about them, you know. There's a telephone, telegraph, and tell your neighbor, you know. Well, these people are very much aware of who Jesus is and, and what he has done. And so they anxiously anticipate him, and they're laying their coats down. Others cut branches from the trees and threw them down uh, as a welcome mat. Crowds went ahead, and crowds followed, all of them crying out, Hosanna to David's son, blessed is he who comes in God's name. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So... We have this declaration of Christ has come. Christ has entered into, uh, you know, he's now coming to set the people free. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. So, and as he made his entrance into Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken. The whole city was unnerved. People were asking, what's going on here? Who is this? So those who didn't know and those who did, Pharisees and uh, Sadducees and the religious leaders, they were well aware of what's going on. They became very uneasy with this whole thing that Jesus was going to upset their uh, traditions. He was going to upset their perfected holiday in which they themselves made themselves rich, the religious people, and the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the temple, and uh, they were very unnerved by this. And the parade crowd answered, This is the prophet Jesus, the one from Nazareth in Galilee. So here we have Jesus now in Jerusalem, entering into Jerusalem. And the people are aware of his coming. And they've laid down their branches, their palm branches and their cloaks and their coats. And they've laid them down as a pathway, a mat for Jesus to ride in on. So it's like the purpose of what Jesus has done in the last three years is, has been established. You know, uh, the religious system, it's been challenged. The religious system has been challenged because Jesus has come to bring God to them. And they already thought they had God. <laughs> so they were challenged with what they should do. Um, the religion of that day had become more of a political object than it was any type of relational experience with God and the separation you know, from, of sin by the offering of sacrifices. The Roman world, <laughs> they've been challenged by who Jesus is and his philosophies of forgiveness and, and um, you, know, uh, you know, not the, 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 the beatings and the you know, conquer by death or taxes, I don't know. But uh, he, you know, the Roman world was challenged. The Jewish, the people themselves, they were challenged because they're always looking for a sign. <laughs> you know, the Jewish people always want a sign. I think sometimes we're part Jewish. <laughs> we're always asking, God, I need a sign, you know? you know. We talked a little bit about that in Sunday school. We want, uh, we want to have a moose from Canada walk down through the main street of Wimber, and if I see that, I'll know God has 
you know, that's what I'm supposed I know that's a confirmation of the sign, you know. If I have 10 people come up to me and say, hello, I'll know that's a sign. <laughs> no. Well, the Jewish people were wanting a sign. What was the sign for? The sign was to confirm that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, Jesus is victorious. Now, this, vic this victorious entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, was it for what he had done, his past, for what he's going to do? What is this victorious entry? Where, where does it come from? Why is it so important? Well, I'm, I'm almost, almost always I've thought of this as the, the victorious entry of Jesus as that which was in front of him. He was riding in as conquering king. But Jesus is entering Jerusalem, and he's entering as the king of kings and lord of lords, the one who has come to fulfill. Excuse me. The one who has come to fulfill what the prophets have said, to declare and bring, you know, the year of the Lord and, and to, to bring, lift the captive free and to, you know, heal the sick and raise the dead. You know, he, he, he has come in this, thing, in, in this victorious manner and he's been, he has been victorious, victorious over life. Jesus has arrived and he is victorious over every area of life. He is victorious over every relationship. Every relationship. Have we ever had friends... <laughs> Uh, disown us and turn against us? Jesus has. <laughs> Have we ever had the crowd turn their back on us? Have we ever had the crowd celebrate us? Have we ever, you know, as we face relationships, as we face the, the political climate of family and friends and neighbors and all these things, we, we face all of those types of problems. Jesus has been there. The rejection that Jesus is that he has come to the very people that he created and set aside. He came to them and they crucified him. <laughs> These are the people he called and set aside as his very own to be his revelation, the revelation of God to the world. And they rejected him. They rejected him so completely they crucified him. They had him, you know, beaten and scourged, and I'm sure that the, the Passion will be on, the movie The Passion will be on this week. And, um, and every time I watch it, I think of how bad it is, but that isn't as bad as it was uh, for Jesus. So he has come. He is the word of life. <laughs> I think I was trying to, you know, if he's coming in as victorious and he's celebrating the, his, the life that he's already had, his three years of ministry, what has he been through? He, he has his stories of the Good Samaritan. He has, his, he has his instructions on prayer, our Father who art in heaven. He has instructions for how we should live our, live our lives and respond to hostility and anger. He spoke about hypocrisy. He spoke about the parable of the rich fool and how, how, how unimportant it is to trust in riches. He warns, he warns us against worry <laughs> and against fear. He warns us about division 
and setting ourselves in opposition to others. He calls people to repent. We see his teachings about the kingdom of God and how that he has come to fulfill what God has stated in his word, that Jesus is, tells, tells that he himself is the good shepherd. He says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door through which we pass. He is the one who teaches us about the rich man and the beggar. He's the one who speaks of forgiveness. He's the one who heals the ten lepers. He is the, the one who gives us the story about the persistent widow who will not let the, the uh, official rest until he does, and, until he answers her requests. And he's telling us about doing this whenever we pray, our, our persistency in prayer. He blesses the little children. talks about if a child asks for bread, you know, are you going to give him a serpent, a stone? You see, he proclaims that all must be born again to Nicodemus, which there is this birth from above. He teaches us as one who has the authority to teach. He heals the sick, the lame, he causes to walk, the deaf, they're able to hear. The blind, they're able to see. So Jesus is riding victorious, and as we reflect over his, his life, we could say, wow, he is a victorious king. He is a victorious king. He, he, feed, he fed 5,000 men plus women and children with five flat pancakes and two sardines. <laughs> he walks on water. <laughs> he speaks in the storms. Stop. He calls Lazarus by name, and he comes out of the tomb. He speaks of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, the prodigal son, and how that God seeks after them. He eats with sinners. He teaches his followers how to live, how to love, and how to forgive, and how to serve. He teaches us about what it means to be a child of the king. He predicts his own death. He tells about the future. He weeps over the city of Jerusalem. The city that he has come that so represents who he is and what he has come to do. And it's David's city that was established and that was established through Christ and through God's kingdom. And now he weeps over it. He rides victoriously, triumphantly into Jerusalem. Jesus knows what's coming. He knows what's ahead. And he still rides triumphantly because death does not defeat him. Death does not, evil does not have the power. The devil himself does not have the power to end life. People may die, but they are not dead. The life that they are, the person that they are, lives on. And so we must think of life as being eternal. And here we are in this eternal place inside of us. Everything that is life of us is eternal. And we are in a body that <clears throat> gets older. Rhonda was looking at pictures yesterday. And you wouldn't believe what she looked like 40 years ago. You wouldn't believe what I looked like 40 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Now, you wouldn't believe what, uh, and, the, and the kids we looked at 
who in earth are these kids, you know? <laughs> Was I there? <laughs> you know, is that me? And the answer is, yeah, that's me about 70 pounds lighter, <laughs> you know? But you see, there is the life that we have and the life that we... So Jesus is riding victorious. And then the victorious entry, entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is that he has come to fulfill the will of the Father. And this is part of the will of the Father, to teach us about God and, you know, the vastness of God and his, cre- you know, the universe, occupying universe from anywhere you want to be to here. Yet he knows enough, he, know, he loves us and plans and has purpose for our life. The thing that, uh, uh, that about this whole week that uh, I always end up at and, and I think about is the garden. And this is part of his triumphal entry because he's going to go to the garden where he has been many times before. And I was thinking of, I was thinking of how that Judas knew exactly where to go to find Jesus. Judas knew exactly where Jesus would be. Because when Jesus was in Jerusalem, he must have gone to this place to pray. Because his disciples were very familiar with it. Judas was familiar with it. It isn't like they, they, you know, he's uh, having the um, breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup and he's going to go and go to, the, go to the garden, this garden where he's never been before. No, Judas, he, Judas, he tells, go do what you're going to do, Judas, and Judas leaves. And Jesus, then after he dismisses, you know, one of the other things that before Jesus left the upper room, they sang psalms. <laughs> they sang songs of praise. Jesus sang before he went to the garden because he knew what this was all about. Now, if we understood what our life is all about, if we really understood that nothing in life is ever going to separate us from God, that Everything that God initiates in our life, he has the power in us to accomplish it. So every day is to be a day of victory. Every day is to be a day of conquering. Every day is to be a day of triumph. Now, we don't feel that way, <laughs> you, know? you know. I had some very bad days, you know, recently. But that doesn't mean anything. It means only that we had a couple of bad days. Nothing can separate us from God, and nothing is going to prevent the will of God from being accomplished because God has a purpose and his victorious ride into Jerusalem is telling us how victorious we are. And so in the garden, he pulled himself away from about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed. So Jesus is praying again. <laughs> He's in the garden and whenever I was in, uh, in Jerusalem and in the garden, it was interesting that they felt that the trees that were there, the olive trees that were there, were, were there when Jesus was there. Because they're well over, they feel that they are well over 2,000 years old. So these trees that were there would have been trees that Jesus had walked beside. Perhaps even the disciples 
leaned against or sat beside. And then, of course, there's a church right there built over this huge stone, you know. And it is thought that that's the stone, the place where Jesus would have knelt and prayed. So he is there and he goes into this garden and he goes to this very special place. This very special place that he has in prayer. And the disciples, they're not really catching what's going on here because he's told them that I'm going to die. They're going to come and take me. You know, Peter, and, he's, and see, Peter, Peter says, well, you know, it doesn't matter what they do, I'm never going to deny you. And whenever they came to that garden to get to take Jesus, Peter pulls out his sword and he's, he's going after them because Peter thinks he understands what standing up for someone is. He thinks that he understands that if I pull my sword and he's this, you know, Peter's considered sometimes to be this brawly person, you know, this rough and tough fisherman. And here these people come to take Jesus. He pulls out his sword and he goes after them. He's going to die for Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus, put your sword away, Peter. This isn't how it's done. Sometimes in our life, God tells us, put that aspect away. This isn't how it's done. You, you know, we do our best. We, we work at it. We're going to make this happen. And sometimes Jesus, you know, and we have to have plans. And we have to, we can't sit around and say, okay, God, go ahead and do it. I'll, I'll wait. <laughs> you know, sometimes God wants us to wait and sometimes he wants us to be in motion. But sometimes when we're in motion, Jesus will say, David, this isn't how it's done. <laughs> this isn't how it's done. I know you've done this for forever, but it isn't how it's done. It's going to be done by my spirit and my word. It's going to be accomplished by my power. And that we are going to see something different happen in our lives because it is the will of God for it to be different. And so Peter is ready to die for Jesus, and Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter, no, because I'll take out my sword and I'll die by the sword. And Jesus said, no, it's not going to be by the sword. So the sword goes away and we know that he denies Jesus three times in front of a young girl. Because if he needed to fight there and die, he would have done it. But how do you resist an accusation? Peter denies Jesus. Back up a little bit. Judas comes to find Jesus. And while Jesus is there, we have in uh, that the angel, at once an angel from heaven was at his side. What is an angel going to say to Jesus? You know, what does the angel, this created being, going to tell the creator that's going to strengthen him? Well, the humanity of Jesus was, was at war here because the humanity of Christ says, Father, let this cup pass from me. But his surrender of that humanity Father, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And the angel comes and ministers to him. Perhaps. We don't know what the angel said. 
But what if the angel said to him exactly what his humanity was fighting with him over? You don't want to die. And the angel comes and says, you are the Messiah. You are the creator of the universe. You are the sacrifice for mankind. Every person who has ever lived is, is waiting on your death and resurrection. That this is the time you were born, this is the time that you came to be human for. And just the reminders to his humanness that that's why he was here. And in our humanness, can we hear the word of God spoken to us in our prayer that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. It's not by your understanding, it's by your faith. It's not by how stern and how stubborn, but it's how yielded and how much at peace you are in the hand of God is the piece of clay on the potter's wheel. <laughs> you see, this is our strength. Even though we're able to be twisted and turned and like the palm, palm is one way, in another way, it can't be pulled apart. And in our life, sometimes we need to see that the hand of God is leading us in such a way that we seemingly are tied in knots, <laughs> like the palm branch being tied in a knot. But you know what? The knot is not the, the, knot is not the strength. <laughs> the knot is not the strength. The strength is in the tenacity in the fibers of our being. And the fiber of our being is God's love, God's forgiveness, God's grace, and his mercy endureth forever. Amen? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us this strength of your spirit and the comfort of your love and the security of who we are. God, we believe that you are the king of glory. You ride into Jerusalem victorious. You come to our life victorious. You, you rise from the dead victorious over death. Heaven bows before you. Hell flees from you. And we, as your saints, worship you and adore you. You are our Messiah. You are our Savior. You are our King of kings and Lord of lords. May we worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. And as we face the difficulties of time and life and experiences, we are strong in the strength of your spirit, your word, and your love. And we pray these things. We receive these things into our life in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Take your palms <laughs> home <laughs> and remember. <laughs>